welcome back to Authors on the Air. Happy New Year, everyone. I am so excited because my first guest in 2024 is a dear friend of mine, Pamela Fagan Hutchins, who is an award-winning author. Uh, she's a USA Today bestseller, and she comes to us today from not Snowersville, where you see in the background her original home, but from California, where she, her husband is working, and she's writing a crazy amount of books. Welcome back, Pamela. Thanks for having me. It's so good to be your first guest. I love it. Thank you. How could you not be? How could you not be? <laughs> uh, I don't know if um, listeners remember the first time you and I spoke to each other, I think it was like six years ago, maybe yeah. six years ago. Yeah. And we had so much fun that I asked if you would come on and do a show and you've done two of them so far. You're on hiatus now from crime and wine, but I know you're going to be back. Correct. I am. We'll talk about that when we're done. I promise you, I've got a date in mind. I love yes, it. I'm thinking of having everything. <laughs> oh, I love it. It's going to be so much fun. Um, I, I don't have the physical copies of your new books because your new publisher is in Europe and, and they don't send out books right away. Correct. And with the holidays coming right before this launch, everything got kerfluffled. And so when I, while I would normally have books in my hands right now, I do not, and it's killing me, but I will by the time um, they release. And they're all available for pre-order. We just, none of us can touch them yet. Well, I do have the books in, in my Kindle version. You, you kindly sent me the ebook, the ePubs. Um, up in the upper corner, you're going to see there are three books by Pamela Fagan Hutchins. And remarkably, this woman has written and is launching three books in her new Delancey Pace. There it is. It's a, <laughs> Ooh, it's like a post. Hold on. There we go. There you go. You got to find the right place on the screen. Uh, so it's her silent bones, her last cry and her hidden grave um, of the, this is the first release for Delancey Pace, a brand new character for you. Brand new character for me. And um, I've never done a three book at once release before. It's been a long two years leading up to this. Um, the suspense has been killing me, but, but I'm super excited. Um, Delaney's based on a dear friend of mine who's, First name is Daisy, but last name is Delaney. And I was lucky that they let me keep part of her name even for the character. So I'm super excited that she's really, she's super kick-ass. She's super Wyoming and a detective to boot. So what's not to love? Exactly. So um, a lot of your books, not in the beginning, but your last series, last couple series were based in Wyoming where, it, where your permanent residence is, although... Lord knows over the past few years, you've hopped, skipped and jumped around from New England to Texas to California and all places in between. Yes. But um, but this is a very uh, Wyoming centric series. Yes. Tell us a little bit about the background of Delaney Pace, your main character, please. Absolutely. Well, for starters, Delaney is very Wyoming. And and I mean that in the best possible way. She's as wild as the, you know, the and rugged as the mountains that shaped her. You know, she's 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 a beautiful woman who used to be an ice road trucker. 
And she is forced to return to her hometown because her 11-year-old niece is orphaned. And that means going back to the job she ran away from, you know, nearly a decade before and going back to the sheriff that had been her mentor and taken her job back. So she is um, a woman who has reinvented herself many times who has been abandoned by a father, a mother who ran away from her, a father who was murdered before her eyes, foster parents who didn't want her, grandparents who didn't want her, and yet she still shows up for this 11-year-old girl. So she's warm-hearted, but also um, she's the one you want to be your second in a knife fight. She's, she's pretty tough. I love that. Um, I want to just talk about logistics of writing three books at once before we del delve into the story, because the stories are fascinating, considering Wyoming really does not have a lot of crime the way other city, other states do. So she lives in a pretty tough uh, city, as it, as it turns out. But when you made the deal with your new publisher, they said, we want you to write a series of books and we want to launch three all at once. It's very unusual, but but the interesting thing to me is, I I you know I love your books. I've read them like crazy. I like reading a continuing series character one right after the other. Yeah. How difficult was it for you to write? Because I know you're very creative, Pamela, and so I'm sure it was not for a lack of ideas. Sometimes it's the too many ideas in a short time frame that are tough. Um, it. As far as sitting down and plotting out multiple books, I'm used to doing that. I, I think several books ahead. Um, I have published books close together before, but never simultaneously. The benefit of it, I've got to say, was that when I got to the last book and I still had changes I wanted to make in book one, that even though the eBooks were already created, they were still pretty friendly to me. I mean, Bookature is great, by the way. Um, the, my editor, Helen, and the whole team was very friendly to me about fixing things I thought needed to be fixed. And um, I mean, they've been like that about everything. They're fantastic. But the hard thing about doing it, Pam, was that I'm used to getting these highs, natural highs that come with finishing a book, releasing it, engaging with readers, feeling good about myself. And instead, it was a multi-year turned out to be process of just feeling how you do in the middle of drafts, which for me is pretty crappy and, and never having that natural high that comes with completing it. Instead, it was like, okay, I finished one yesterday. I have no idea what people think of it. I'm starting another one tomorrow. And in that same time period, we had multiple deaths in the family. We had um, multiple births in the family. We had travel worldwide. We had puppies and, you know, et cetera. And, and by the time I got to the third book, I told my editor when I gave her the first draft, I said the last few chapters, just trust me, this is our third book together. But literally some of them said, blah, blah, blah. And here's where Delaney kicks ass. <laughs> she was <laughs> like, she's like, okay, I'm trusting you. Um, and believe it or not, that third book was the one that pretty much got a hug and a kiss and it's perfect. We love it when I finished it. And the first two were, you know, you know, brain surgery to get them just right. right. So that was a really long answer to, wow, it was hard. I didn't expect it to be hard. And it was really hard emotionally. I, and, and I feel like a baby saying that because I'm a grown up writer and it's my career, but it did feel very emotionally challenging. I imagine it did. I imagine it did. Now, if I'm not mistaken, this is only the beginning of the Delancey Pace series, right? 
I hope so. And I'm told so, but the, the readers need to come out and show us that, I, I guess, and show us that they love her as much as we do. Um, but it is the third book is very much ended in such a way that unbeknownst to me, as I'm sitting here writing the last few chapters, all of a sudden, the ending to me is the beginning. It's the beginning of the next three acts of the, of, you know, the next installment, which I think in terms of three book sets anyway, for the, for there to be adequate time for the character development I want, even in, even in a crime thriller, I want that character development with the main characters. And immediately the next three books popped into the ending. It just was boom, there it is. This is the place I want it to go. Now, Delaney hasn't told me exactly what that looks like yet. You know, she hasn't mused me (laughs) enough for me to have the details, but we're going to sit down and do those here in the next few weeks. Um, Helen and I. So how important are the ancillary, secondary, and tertiary characters when you're writing three books at a time? And do they all get um, pulled forward with you? Most of them do. And they're super important. I Do you remember, did you ever watch Bones? Um, of course, it was based on such a popular you know, written um, fiction series, but it also, there was a couple of series where they had bad guys that they would revisit and pull through. And sometimes it was a whole series just with one bad guy and then he'd reappear halfway through the next series. I can't remember his name. Um, I loved that. And I wanted to see if I could create some continuity in the crime narrative that was going on in the background as well. So that even sometimes the bad guys would show up in forms that surprised us, but yet also were even more scary because we were already scared of those people. So the bad guys, I've gotten to create a world where there's connections between them and they can resurface. I have a partner, Leo Palmer of Delaney's, who's frankly, if you've watched Yellowstone, he's in my mind, he looks like Luke Grimes with darker hair. You know, he's pretty hot and yeah. she's fighting everything in her to um, to uh, <laughs> uh, keep things professional. I don't know how long, how long that will last, but they're trying. And uh, and then this niece who means everything to her um, you know, by the time their relationship really gels. So carrying those characters through and each of them having their own stories is very important to me because... I don't know about you, but when I get really involved in series, I'm thinking, wow, I really enjoyed that crime and and that story. But what I want more of is the characters. And I want. I I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. The the characters absolutely drive the story as far as I'm concerned. And I know that you're very good at creating different voices. Um, It's obvious when there's dialogue, when there's movement, motion, even the, the person's space is very different. So you excel at doing that. I thank you, darling. <laughs> so let's talk about Her Silent Bones. Sure. Give us a little synopsis on Her Silent Bones, because this is the first book that readers are going to want to jump into. Would you give yes. us a little synopsis, please? Um, picture... Delaney having come back to her hometown and and taking on mothering this orphaned young girl only to um, be called out on the first day back at her job to a mountain setting in the middle of the night where there is a woman dead on the forest floor. And when they shine a light in her face, it's the woman they thought they buried, Katina's mother. And it turns out she was still alive but yet she's dead again. 
kind of like a zombie, right? Dead again. But um, but anyway, it, it that's what launches it is that it becomes very personal to her. You know, I thought this woman was dead. She wasn't dead. Now she is very much dead. And it's my responsibility, not only to figure out what happened to her, but to protect Katina from figuring out that her mother's been alive and she's believed she was dead and the pain that that will cause this girl. And so anyway, that's it. It's a pretty twisted beginning of that book. I have to tell you, if you don't jump right into it, then nothing's going to get you. It is <laughs> fabulous. I'm Thank like, what, what, what? <laughs> it was great. It was great. Thank you. And, and with each of the books, they started for me, besides being driven by being really in love with this character, Delaney and her partner, um, Leo, they were very much driven with a vision of the crime. Um, with the second book in the series, Her Hidden Grave, I had a, a picture of, of someone digging themselves out of a grave. And so with that in mind, it was like, okay, so I need graves somewhere desolate. Now I just got to put people in them. You know, it was, it's fun when you get those clear visuals of where you want something to go to, to um, just follow the muse and see where she takes you because eventually you get there. So let's, okay, let's talk about book two and let's move on just a little snippet. So we don't want to give anything away about book one, but kind of tell us where Delaney and Leo go next. Well, where they go is that uh, they have a new boss um, in the, in the second book and he's someone that really hates Delaney. So they're under fire. They have uh, a teenager that dies in the locker room for a football game and no one can figure out if it's an accident or murder. And then lo and behold, they've got two missing teenagers that seem to be related. And I juxtapose timelines there so that we have, you know, graves out in the desert and we see a, an un, a faceless killer that is there burying um, these people. And without giving too much away, they are the missing two teenagers, but the story becomes how the death of the football player and the other teenagers are related and, and who comes out of that grave and finds their way back. So it, it was fun to write. And for me, with both these books, with all this series, Wyoming exerts a powerful force. People are scared of Wyoming, not because they're scared of murderers, but because it is wild and it is rugged. And you're scared of wild animals and uh, falling off mountains and being gored by bison and, you know, all the things, at least that you should be scared of if you're going to Yellowstone. But uh, they exert a powerful force. And to me, Wyoming is a character in the book. Um, and, and so when I picture these settings, when I picture these murders, they're the kinds of things that in my mind could only happen where they were and happen partly because of where they were. And, and it, it's really fun. As you can see from behind me, you know, that's yes. this my yard in Wyoming. Um, well, no, I was going to say, if anybody has ever followed you on social media and sees your post when it's Snowersville, literally you are nowhere <laughs> surrounded by snow in the wintertime. <laughs> and really it's beautiful in the summertime, but you're still nowhere. You are, you are an entity unto your own there. 
you have to be self-sufficient, which is where Delaney's Wyoming background and her years as a runaway, you know, a runaway from her life as an ice road trucker come in. She knows how to take care of herself. She's physical. She is intuitive. She's got mechanical skills, you know, a relation to shapes, objects, things. And, uh, and in Leo, she's got a partner that is smart. His background is computer science. In fact, he was um, co-opted into the Coast Guard to get out of a, being charged with computer hacking in college. You know, so he's a sharp guy right. that um, is a little too smart for his own good. And they make a formidable team, having kind of swapped the gender roles, if you will, that, uh, that Delaney is the one that you want to have on your side if it's a physical scrape and, and Leo's going to talk you out of trouble or um, use his brain to, to help you. There you go. Book number three, where do we see Delaney and Leo? Well, Delaney and Leo are um, uh, now battling even more their um, their personal relationship. He's had some family move to town. She and her um, tween uh, niece, Katina, have become close with that family. And in this book, um, we start with a very strong visual. Now it's winter. Okay. This was actually inspired by having written it last winter. We had 25 feet of snow at our house last winter. It was minus 60 degrees. My husband was in Denmark. I was all about snow. And so as I was plotting the beginning of this book, um, and I also wanted the books to occur about three to four months apart, you know, so I was progressing a timeline and I just pictured this woman in a mountain cabin, not unlike the one I was in at the time, surrounded by snow. No one can get to her. And she dies in what could have been a sex accident or could have been a staged murder. And so she makes a very dramatic corpse. And Leo and Delaney uh, snowmobile up to this report of a missing person and, and suspicious circumstances into the into this deep mountain resort and find her there. And, and that's where we launched that book. And it turns out she's a very prominent person with a lot of secrets and a lot of people that apparently didn't like her as much as she thought. So... It was fun. Isn't isn't that interesting how that happens? Some of these popular exactly. folks who think they're all that and they're not, right? Exactly. <laughs> I'm glad you riffed off of it because not only can nice people be homicide victims, it you know, it does pay sometimes to have someone with a little bit of a shady character be a victim too, because there are so many suspects. Exactly. So, and when I, I write a book, I want the potential for nearly every character that a reader encounters to have had a reason, a motive, or an opportunity to be the killer. I want lots of confusion um, about it because some, and in this case, someone is so unlikable and so public that everybody wanted a piece of her dead body, basically. <laughs> Not a lot of mourners at the funeral then, Not right? a lot of mourners at the funeral. <laughs> no, no. Um, but it, it made for a fun one. And I just heard from some reviewer today saying, oh, it's my favorite one. And it, I think it was my editor's favorite one, too. And don't forget, it's the one where I wrote blah, 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 kick ass right. here. Right. <laughs> the last few chapters. I got to go back and read that one again and see the name <laughs> and plug in blah, 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 you know. Wow. <laughs> so, so you're on a hiatus from writing, but this is the hard part now, promoting the book, meeting with um, people who want to speak with you and readers and all. I have to tell listeners that your NetGalley, NetGalley is a place where reviewers go to get an advanced look at books that are coming out. Your NetGalley reviews were spectacular. I, I mean, across, 
Oh, across the board, they were spectacular. People oh, wow. were loving it. You got five stars everywhere. So that was really nice to see that. Of course, yeah. I know what a good writer you are. I've mm -hmm. always been a fan of your books. The early books, particularly, that's how far back you and I go. That's and right. So you have a little bit of a break. You're doing your the, the promotional part of book tour as much as you can. Um, will you be only on virtual tour or will you go in this area where you lived to go and make That's appearances? Virtual. Yeah, I'm going to do virtual. If I was in Wyoming, we would take it on the road. In fact, I am thinking of one reader in particular that is has messaged me every year for the last few years saying, when are you coming to Cheyenne? And I am oh, talking no. about you, Chris Wolf. Anyway, um, oh. I've been meaning to, and I want to go to Cody and Cheyenne and Denver and Rapid City and Billings, and, you know, you know, all the places around where we are. But unfortunately, I am in Bakersfield, and I don't think anyone here really knows who that I'm a writer or who I am or even that I exist. I mean, I am hibernating in my PJs in this house. It's a little weird because um, you probably remember that the early part of my career, I spent so much time touring and on the road. Yes, I mean, hundreds of events in a in like a two and three year period, but nothing. Yeah. Well, you know, also, I think uh, COVID changed everything. A lot of people stopped doing physical tours and instead ba banded together with like-minded authors and maybe, you know, went together and everything. But it's it's a different world right now. Yeah. Um, I, so I want to ask you stuff as, as a reader myself, not as someone who knows you, but um, do you read your reviews by any chance? I really, I really don't. I recently, like for instance, someone will post a review on Instagram and I, I like sharing them. I want to encourage those reviewers to know that I noticed and know that I'm grateful. And I, so I repost them, but I don't read them, but I did read one recently and it made me really happy. Um, but I tend not to, if they're really good, they make you overconfident. If they're really bad, they're probably an outlier as well. I don't know. Maybe they're not. Maybe the really bad ones are the real ones. But it, most of most of the time, I just feel like they're just going to mess with my head. So now, you know, previously you self-published, you have your own your own publishing company. Um, and now you're with a kind of a traditional publisher. Bookature is very well respected, not here based here in the United States, but respected nonetheless. A lot of people I know are published through them. Um, what are the pros and cons well, now that you're sitting yeah. on both sides? Definitely. And I am still continuing with two of my um indie series because I can't stop them. I, I'm getting hounded. So I must still have a new Patrick Flint this year and a new Jen Harrington, which is another reason why I think I'm emotionally exhausted. Um, but five books this year is a lot to put it out. Is. However, here's how, here's my takeaway from this. Um, Bookature, I think of as kind of like a, um, uh, an alt traditional. They're the digital imprint of Hachette UK. Right. They are traditional, but the way they do things is like a super indie in that they are data driven and they are super, super flexible on making changes like I would be as an individual if they think something's not working. And yet they can do it on an amazing scale because they have had, you know, hundreds and hundreds of books that they published and, uh, you know, and hundreds of authors that they publish. So the data that they have at their fingertips is just incredible. I am so in love with that. I mean, that's what 
made me say, oh, I think they're my people. But um, but in addition, what I found was that I've enjoyed the collaborative experience once I get used to it with my editor through no fault of her own. I'd been independent so long that I really didn't want to be told what to do. Um, but it turned out that she had really darn good ideas and that her ideas were driven by what she thought would be best for both of us in the long run. So um, it became a really fruitful um, relationship. I loved that this particular publisher is so flexible with things like when I was not happy with, I loved the cover artists, but not the covers. And I think they were really surprised when I told them that. And to my surprise, they went back and completely redid all three of them, which I've been told that will never happen. They will never do wow. that for you. They did that wow. for me. They gave me pre-approval on um, strategy. Hello, kitty cat. I hear I you. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> No, I love it. Like, every 15 minutes, it's, it's like, it's time to eat now. It's been 15 minutes. Give me more yeah, food. Just um, a teaspoon and, and I'll be happy, you know. Yeah. Okay. Um, but I wanted to finish it by saying that the thing that was hardest for me was getting used to it being somebody else's schedule. I had this vision in my mind of, okay, if I was writing my own books, it would be a faster process. I would never be waiting on somebody. And so I would... You know, I would move on to other tasks faster. I would have releases and I would move on to other tasks faster. I got less done in the time period that I worked with them than I thought I would because I got, um, you know, mired down a little bit in the process. Yeah. And I think that this time around, um, that will be easier for me. Interesting. So, but you're still going to do Patrick Flint. You still got unfinished business. I know that's one of your most popular series. And of course the cover art with Eric on it was the most popular <laughs> book. <laughs> it was a great picture. It was great a great picture. picture. I know. I know. It's just terribly so ugly. <laughs> so yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> he's a hunk. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, and he's a very nice man, too. He happens to be nice a man. really super nice guy. And um, super collaborative on the books. He's my ideas guy. So he's all that. Tell you what, you're a great team. Thank you. Anybody you want to give a shout out to besides Eric? Um, I want to give a shout out to a couple of people. Eric sure. for being on these, even with his schedule being insane, still a good story partner. And also for not getting his feelings hurt that I now have a story partner that is my professional story partner. And that's my editor, Helen Jenner. And, um, and we, we um, made that transition. Well, Eric and I did. Um, the other person I want to give a shout out to is Travis Kultiska. He is the police chief for Sheridan, uh, Wyoming. And he helped me keep from making an ass out of myself and Delaney with these books. Yay. I was terrified to write, um, you know, straight up procedural, go with a law enforcement character because I've been a lawyer, but I haven't been a cop. And Travis was fantastic. He's on speed dial. Uh, in fact, he, I, I keep telling him that I need to, um, I need to, to big him up so that other people will know that when he retires, he'd make a great consultant for your law enforcement books because he really was good. What's great about him, Pam, is that whenever I would do something wrong, he wouldn't go, you can't do that. Instead, what he would write to me and say is, here's a way you can make this happen. Because he went into it knowing 
I want it to be as implausible as possible and yet still possible. We need to be on right. the edge of reality. And so he'd come back and say, while it wouldn't normally happen this way, here's the circumstances in which it would and how we can still get where you're going. And I was like, I like this guy. Oh gosh, I, I like that too. Yeah. 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 Most of the people I've worked with are, with are like, uh-uh, that won't work. And I'm like, okay, work with me here. Um, <laughs> so I want to give a shout out to Travis. I do want to give a shout out to the real Delaney, Daisy Delaney, for being willing to share pieces of her soul with me, um, as well as her knowledge of all things trucking and mechanical, so that we could make Delaney in fiction realistic to my um, and to my editor, Helen Jenner, who has broken me out of that nasty indie habit and, and shown me I can play well with others. <laughs> <laughs> well, we always knew that. You just you just were not ready to do it. So now yeah. you are. Um, uh, where can listeners find you? Give us your everything. I think the best place, or the, the place most people engage with me is on my Facebook page, Pamela Fagan Hutchins, author. Um, but I have... Uh, if you go to my website, Pamela Fagan Hutchins, you can find um, subscription to my newsletter, which gets you a whole library of free stories as well as information about my new releases. And uh, I also um, am getting back on that crime and wine show and have um, a, a hope that I'll be putting things into my YouTube channel right and left again here pretty soon. I love that. I love that. Pamela Fagan Hutchins is my guest today. Uh, not only is she a fantastic writer, I'm honored to call her friend and colleague. Um, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. And I know you're coming back with a Pulpwood Queen, aren't you? I, with, I, with I, Mickey? Mickey Browning. Yes. yes, I am. Mickey is one of my favorite people. I interviewed her a few years ago and I tell you what, I was just like, I cannot get enough Mickey. So thank you for making that possible. She's a doll. Um, I want to thank everybody for being with me today. Um, Pamela and I love talking together, as you could tell. This is a little bit longer than we're normally together, but so worth it. Take care, everybody, and I'll see you in the next episode. Thanks for having me, Pam.